0: welcome back welcome back hey this is this is i, f- I feel like we should have trumpets or trombones it's or <laughs> my playing. that's my mouth trumpet it is that's great uh
1: yeah welcome is back it...
0: here we are episode one episode... of season two
1: yep oh fooled you you were like wait episode one that... wait, wait. Uh, season two season two episode
0: one Yeah. And so there's we're going to have to figure out all sorts of new witticisms for, you know, I'll try to avoid saying the primes through the second second season. Will you? Uh, Is that a a promise? I I, I said I'd try. That's all I got.
1: Yeah. You know, I I just realized since we haven't posted this episode yet, I'm going to have to look to see. Do we go into the system and change this? So this is actually episode one of season two or does it just stay episode 53?
0: I don't know. Uh, You know, we'll get we'll get our tech support on that. Yeah,
1: get it. that's right. I'll call up our, <laughs> our 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 snap tech support.
0: Yes. Our yeah. our tech assistant, yeah. you know, our, our our production team.
1: Jerry, <laughs> we'll call him up. We get on that for us there, Jerry.
0: All right. So so season one, <laughs> I'm sure people are going, OK, what kind of brilliance are yeah. Scott and Ollie going to share today? How, how
1: How could they follow season one with something?
0: That- it's almost impossible, but we're going to try. We're going to try. So I'm Ollie. And, uh,
1: and I'm Scott. Yeah, that's over Scott. Here.
0: Yeah, there. And we were actually talking about something before the episode. And we're just like, hold on. This should be the show. This should be today's it's, show. It's in and the show. It's in the show. And uh, what what I, I guess so you and I are both, our headspace right now uh, is in the uh, start starting of the semester. So yeah. um we're right at the beginning of of the fall semester so if you're listening to this in someplace in the distant future uh understand where we recorded it and our mindset that we were in at the time Mm -hmm. um so you know our students are coming back and you know we are thinking a lot about the the ways that scott and i work with future candidates at our institutions which also made us think a little bit about like you know the, the way that's changed over you know the last twenty or thirty years, and 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 what we thought we'd do today is just talk about our own experiences in teacher preparation as 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 the actual person being prepared to teach, and then uh, next episode we're going to talk a little bit about like some of the changes that are happening or some of the play- some of the innovations that are happening out there, including the stuff that's happening at your, your institution and my institution. Right. So that, that's the two part episode that you're going to see over the next uh, two weeks, at least two parts. Who knows? Yeah. It po- 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 could be a hundred
1: parts could be, it so could good. be
0: all of season two. We're talking about teacher preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Scott, how like, uh, I think we, you and I had very similar trainings as teachers. So I think that there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, cross pollination and how we do this, but you know, you want to talk a little bit about your, your experience.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and I want to add one little bit to what you were saying. I mean, the other thing, the other reason we're talking about this is, um, you know, we, we both make reference to the fact that we do science teacher education and teacher education, but we, we actually haven't talked that much about it. We talk much more about science teaching and learning and we, and, and I think it's worth mentioning that these are things that we both care deeply about, right? Like, the reason I'm not a science teacher anymore is because I wanted to do this job. I wanted to prepare people to be science teachers. So, um, so, you know, I think it's worth talking about that for a second.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's certainly where our, our passions lie. You know, I think for me, um, what kind of brought me into this was, you know, I had uh, some student teachers. So I was, I had student teachers and I saw the level of support they were getting from their institutions. And I was like, going, okay, there's got to be something better than this, right? Because <laughs> like I were getting really good, you know, experiences with me. But then, you know, the, some of these folks would, you know, not really be supervised. So they would be with me for 15 weeks and I'd never see somebody from the university. Mm, and I'm yeah. like, you know what 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 is going on and then as i was you know working through um that experience with those those student teachers i was like i started looking into a, a doctor program which is how i ended up at penn state but i was like i could do i could be so i'm i am doing the job right i'm doing the job yeah. at least from the You're doing you know, parts the, of the
1: job already right?
0: right the mentorship of of training you know science teachers i'm doing a good a bulk of that because and the people who were coming out supervising oftentimes were not science teachers they are people who you know mm-hmm. were you know maybe a retired person who was adjuncting with with whatever university was you know the the, the um, student teacher was working at and they would come out and say okay yeah I don't really know the science I really don't know the content but I can you know focus on your questioning which is great and I can yeah. focus on but but there is parts of that that I think you know, as a, as the mentor teacher, as the cooperating teacher, um, I had to fill in a lot of gaps and I had to, you know, and I think that's the design of that experience is that the cooperating teacher does take on a lot of, um, responsibility, but that's what sort of brought me to this pro brought, brought mm-hmm. me to university teaching, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, well that's a, a whole another episode the role of the mentor teacher and how much or how little they take up uh, right. that role right I mean that's a that's a huge uh a huge what? piece of this but yeah go ahead we'll get it.
0: Well, I, I'm sure we'll get into more of that next in episode two because yeah I, we,
1: I mean we may end up talking a little bit about it here because I think we could talk about what our experience was in our own teacher yeah. education programs with our own mentors because I certainly have a very interesting story there um at least I think it's interesting but but let me start by giving you a big overview. So um, my undergraduate degree was in physics. And then um, I went back a couple of years later and, and went into what was then a really new and pretty experimental, quote unquote, experimental program for its time, which was a master's and certification program one year. Uh, at the University of Michigan, and it was called the MAC program, Masters in Certification, and it was across all disciplines. So it was, it was, I think, described as a boutique program because it was very small. It was twenty-five students, um, and they were all across uh, different secondary certification areas. So I had English, social studies, math, science, whatever. Right, everybody all in the same mix. Um, and we had a pretty intensive uh, field placement. It wasn't quite um, at the level of being you know, in a school all year. Um, you, you were in a school in the fall, but you were there only a couple of days and then you did your traditional student teaching where the, you were there every day. Um, and you know, that it was integrated, um, the, the seminar course that we took was sort of integrating all the aspects of what now would have been separate courses. So it was, it was, um, you know, it was a really interesting experience for me to be in that kind of environment um, for my teacher preparation because I I didn't have I'm trying to remember now there were I think there were two other science people out of that group of 25. So so the bulk of the people that I did my teacher education coursework with were not science teachers they were te- going to teach something else. Now I did have a science specific methods course that I had to take, um, but a lot of my coursework was done and I took that with undergrads. Um, A lot of my coursework was done um, with a a really pretty diverse in terms of their content background group of, group of folks. Um, So, yeah, so that's sort of the big overview of my experience. Um, And, and then uh, we can dig into some more of that in a minute and talk about it.
0: You'll see, there's a a good bit of uh, similarities here since, Mm. so I, I went to Pitt to become an engineer. So when I started there, I spent a year and a half in the school of engineering and I was pretty successful, I guess. I mean, I had, you know, good grades and I just hated it. I just hated everything about it. I hated the classes. And, but if I would have come in as, uh, you know, in a teacher education program, I would have been actually the last undergraduate program last, you know, that was the last cohort or last year oh, okay. that they accepted at the University of Pittsburgh. So what happened was in that time period of me being in the School of Engineering, they switched over to a four plus one program. Yep. And so you got a four year undergraduate degree, and then either spend a year doing certification, or you went into a year of what's called the MAT program, a master mm-hmm. of arts and teaching. Yep. And so it leads to certification, but everybody was uh, you had to get an intern certification. So, the in our state, um, Pennsylvania, they have a, a bunch of different certifications. One is for teaching, but there's also like a guest teacher certification. Then there's also an intern teacher certification, which you have to have a, a degree to apply to be an intern um, with the state, and then that gives you the capabilities of being hired, sort of as an intern teacher in a school. And so, this program, the MAT program, had that. So everybody. Was hired in some capacity at a school. She so worked in a school in the Pittsburgh area. Um, I was lucky in that I worked at a uh, a K to eight school. So there was every grade had a teacher and an intern, and uh, and they split up the classes. So I was essentially, you know. A, on the middle, I was on the middle school team and I was teaching math and science to middle school teachers. I mean, middle school students from like day one. So they just threw me in, right? right? Threw me in starting in August. So I had, you know, our program was a one-year program. So I started taking classes starting in like, I don't know, the end of June. Mm -hmm. And I went June, July, August, and then come August, I don't know, 20th or whatever, I am teaching full time. You know, so it was just such a wild, you know, change in a year because, you know, one year I'm, you know, a a college senior and the next year I'm teaching without really any experience. And so I was teaching math and science, middle school math and science. and. Um, Now there was, it was, what was great was it was a, it was a middle school team. So there was another science teacher who was, she was awesome. Mm. And then there was, you know, an English teacher and an English intern, a social studies teacher and social studies intern and a foreign language teacher and a foreign language uh, intern. And then we all shared these, this group of seventh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade students. So it was, we had a team. So you would do the middle school teaming stuff. And so there was so much I got to learn with that. And then I would take grad classes at night, you know, three nights a week. Um, so really intensive year. But I stayed with those students. So our semester ended in May. Our year ended in May. But I stayed with the students through the till they finished the year right? because I was hired to do that for the year. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I had some of my graduate classes worth were, were science only because it was, you know, that was where they took all the students from all Either the intern experience or the certification experiences. So we were all in some of those classes together. So it was like maybe 20, 25 um, of, of the science students, um, science education students all together. So, yeah, my uh, my undergraduate degree was just in pure physics like like yours. So very similar in terms of our our backgrounds as um, teacher education educators
1: teachers or... slash teacher educators yeah
0: right right yeah so we have a, i guess we have a different starting point than a lot of a lot of folks do because you know that those those experiences i think color how we see and some of the p- changes we've promoted at our schools right i mean because yeah those that's are pretty, probably true those are those are atypical experiences i think there's not a whole lot of mat or or mac students uh teachers out there well i
1: think they're more certainly than there were when you and i were going through those programs right like like i would you know we've had a master's and certification program at penn state since i got here um and it's definitely grown but um but yeah there there are more of them out there though maybe now these days they've shrunk again i don't know um i don't know what the state of the state is in terms of that but um but yeah I mean, I think this you know the interesting thing for those of you who aren't teachers or teacher educators um who are listening the interesting thing is this this interest- this this complex um what, what's been described as the two worlds problem right which is that there is a there's sort of the teacher education coursework that you take at the university and you work with professors and then there's this always in teacher preparation there is a field experience component right. And So you're out. Yeah. So you're out <clears throat> working with a mentor so that it's like an internship. Um, it, I guess it is an internship. And uh, and then there is a person from the university who comes and supervises you, who comes in and it ostensibly gives you feedback on your teaching to help you improve. But these two worlds that, that uh, beginning teachers often have to negotiate can often have very different points of view about what teaching is, what good teaching is, how to do it, Um, and so there can be real tensions between universities and schools, uh, in terms of this stuff. Um, but, but it is fundamentally how teacher education works, uh, as a, as a broad discipline, right, is that there is this mix of on campus or some version, it's not always on campus, but coursework, um, that you take. And then there is some field experience where you're working with kids in some context, whether that's. You know something like what Ali did, which is a full year where you're being paid to be a teacher, or the more traditional sort of field placements that are, you know, at Penn State we call them the middle field experience and student teaching. Um, are the last two uh, where you're working with kids, and and they're you know they have their mandates from the state about how many hours you have to spend with right. students in field experience and all that stuff. So um, yeah, it is interesting how different institutions have sort of worked through the the certification process to to deal with how to do this um and and you know it's it i mean it goes back to this idea of uh i'm not going to say the the words because I'll have to pay a dollar. But I know uh, I was going to say it. I was going to say it. I'll yeah. say it. So you know okay. how to say it. Thank you. But it
0: does. I, I think what it does is it represents, like we, this is a few episodes ago, the PCK stuff, right? It's uh, yeah. pedagogical content knowledge. This goes back maybe, I don't know, five or six episodes. Um, but I mean, most. And, and I think probably it's the timing of when we were coming through school because we were both going through our teacher education programs probably within a year or two of each other. And yep. those are probably, I don't know, like 10 or 15 years after this whole PCK concept was introduced. And so I think at the time it was, hey, this is revolutionary. This is what I mean. So you figure like in, you know, 88, 87, 88, which is when I you know, started my teacher. Uh, well, when I came to Pitt you know, that's when they just grandfathered their teacher educate their traditional four year undergraduate teacher education program at the time. And so that's like a good, you know, X number of years after PCK was introduced. So what they were like, thinking was, okay, we have to have content experts. So you have to have an under degree, undergraduate degree in their area. And then we're going to spend this intensive year talking about teaching. So we're going to do the, so we have the content knowledge and we're going to do the pedagogical knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, and then, you know, that experience, that field experience is going to help them marry the two, yeah. you know? So it's, it's like clear that they were designing it from that perspective, right. That they were designing it from. And I think that when we talk in next episode about, um, how some of the innovations have happened in I don't know the last decade or so at your institution and my institution and other places um, that I think there's a there's a thing missing there and I think that we could talk about like that thing missing you know, yeah or
1: maybe like there's lots thing. of things missing oh yeah I, mean, I would yeah. think
0: so but it, I think there's at least one big one but you know yeah. there's but we can. That's a tease for you guys yeah, to come right. back to the next to come episode. back to the next one to the exciting <laughs> conclusion yes. episode. Yeah. yeah,
1: but I, I mean the the ultimate point I I think of all this is that you know teaching requires a certain amount of expertise and a big piece of that expertise requires practice. Like you have to work with kids and you have to learn how to do that. Um, and just being in a classroom is not good enough to prepare you to be a teacher. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I think it, I think our considered opinion would be that just being in a school doesn't really, I mean, it can prepare you to be some kind of teacher, but it's not really the ideal either, right. To just get thrown in without any, and we have, you know, in, in our country now across across the country and and particularly in high needs areas, we do have people who are basically, you know, walking in off the street, um, and taking teaching jobs and some of them get some support and some of them get very little support. Um, and you know, uh, you and I, uh, our institutions are both involved in developing programs to to support those folks, um, right. mer- emergency cert, long term sub folks, who basically just, you know, they they have undergraduate degrees, maybe in their discipline, or maybe not, and they have undergraduate degrees in a discipline, and now they're teaching something, and and they're just, you know, they need they need support and help because it isn't the kind of job that you can just do that way. Um, and maybe there's no job I don't want to disparage I was going to try and name a job but I don't want to disparage other jobs but I think right. um, you know teaching is a is a doing good teaching is a is a very complex thing and to think that you can do it just by learn just by doing it um, is I think a- an insane notion so yeah um, yeah
0: but I think that you know one of the the concepts and this is that the Malcolm Gladwell concept of 10,000 hours right now mm. if we've mentioned this before mm. and I know Malcolm Gladwell is one of those people that like lots of people knock you know um I love the guy I love listening mm. to him on a podcast and and reading his books but he introduced this concept of of 10,000 hours and this is the idea that in order to become an expert at something you have to have 10,000 hours of practice and this is you know practice um when you uh what he did to come up with this concept was he met with a lot of people who had expertise in different areas and that, you know, and then would study like how much time they had de- devoted to becoming a musician or becoming an athlete or something. And, and so I think that that for me, you know, it's not really important. Is it exactly 10,000 hours? But I think what it does more than that is it captures the the need for us to practice at the crafts that we're working on. Right. So if we're going to really want to be an expert at something that we've got to devote time and energy, but it's not just doing the job, it's doing the job and being reflective and working for improvement and, and all of that. And so when we, you know, I, while I was working with another teacher in my teacher education program, you know, a science teacher was a very gifted science teacher um, and somebody who I respected a great deal i didn 't get a lot of feedback in my experience, you know, so from the university, I was basically left alone without any feedback, and I really think it it stunted my growth as a teacher in the first handful of years because i didn 't have somebody who gave me very like no one said, Hey, Ollie, you should vary your instructional techniques, you should do this, so I was really like left on my own to develop those things or work through those things or watch other people teach and then try to figure it out. And I really think I would have, you know, made more progress at the early stages of my career and probably misstepped a lot less, you know, cause I, yeah, I just yeah. was trying to find my way.
1: Yeah. You know? I think that's right. And I think, I mean, the caveat to, to the 10,000 hours from Malcolm Gladwell is, I mean, that was a, that was research. There was a psychological study that, that was based that, that specific claim is based on but the asterisk there is that all hours are not the same and so there was fo- there was follow on research to that and i think actually it was included in the 10,000 hour study that said you need to folk to become an, a true expert in your field you have to focus on the things you're bad at and work at those if you just practice you will not necessarily get better at your job right and and this is you know you can see this in lots of different Fields of endeavor, but the idea of like, okay, if I'm a really good outside shooter uh, in basketball and all I do is practice that, um, I'm never really going to improve much. Like, I, but if I'm an outside shooter and I start, you know, practicing other aspects of the game, like driving to the basket or playing defense or whatever, right? I mean, that this is this is where the supervision and the and the teacher education and the mentorship and all of that becomes such a critical role in science teacher teacher preparation is like you want to be identifying areas of growth for people and pushing them to practice those things because if they just keep practicing the things they're good at. Um, then you get a you don't really get an expert teacher you get somebody who's good at what they're good at um, and so I think that's that's an incredibly important piece of this puzzle is that you know like you said reflection consideration of where your areas of growth are and how to get better I mean this is something we can all do in all aspects of our life because right. it's it's true in general that we tend to do the things we feel most comfortable at. And, um, and ignore the things that we're less comfortable with. And, um, and that's, that's a problem if what we're, we're looking for is maximum growth, right? It's not just practice. It's, it's very specific kinds of practice, right?
0: Well, I think the other part is, and this is go, goes back to another episode as well is, you know, I talked about the bicycle, like me teaching my kids to ride a bicycle and how you know i don't know what i don't remember what episode this was in but how you know i was trying to teach my daughter to ride a bike and originally i was doing what you know every dad does is just throw her on a bike push behind her scream at her tell her uh, you know pedal 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 steer 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 balance 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 but then what i ended up finding out was that the uh that was really inefficient and it wasn't really successful for my daughter and so what i did was i took off the pedals and then we focused on balancing and then we focused on steering and i put the pedals on and then we moved up to pedaling balancing and steering so what it did was it broke the you know the activity of biking down to constituent parts and then we focused and practiced on each one of those now let's compare that to my experience as as a beginning teacher so i i basically just have a degree in physics i took a couple methods classes where i practiced the practiced you know Doing a lesson, I think one was doing a lesson on how to make a sandwich. You mm. know, to yeah, yes, right. how to make a sandwich to other to peers to other. Yeah. This is the those summer classes, and then what do that. I do that fall? That fall, I I'm thrust into a a class where I'm teaching, and, and I'm teaching without any real support. I'm teaching, you know, middle school math and middle school science. I am the kid on the bike learning to ride. And no one's shouting steer, steer, steer. No one's shouting, you know, balance, balance, balance. Right. I'm just doing it right. without like having ever practiced the constituent parts on my own or with in a group. No. So it was never a time for I'm like to just focus on, Okay how do I do questioning or how do I do op- lesson openings or how do I do formative assessments or how do I do any of those things? All of it was you just do it. You just do all of it. And, you know, there were lots of times when I stumbled and fell and the lots, there was lots of, you know, days where I went home and sat in my you know, apartment and just was like, you know, questioning whether this was a career that I could do because yeah. it was just, it was like my daughter riding the bike where it was like, I can't do all of this. I cannot. You know, and I think that that is one of those things that helps to inform some of the innovations. I certainly at, you know, and Millersville, what we've tried to do. And I think that some of it since our program, you know, and again, this is the stuff we're going to talk about in the next episode. A lot of that is also built on some of the things that you do at Penn State is that, you know, breaking down the, the practice of teaching into constituent parts and focusing on those parts and letting people, you know, practice those in small, maybe you know, smaller settings where they have like maybe a net or maybe have the opportunity to, you know, to watch somebody else teach. And then, you know, so this is like, you know, and it actually goes back to some of the uh, the other things we've talked about in episodes, you know, in terms of like, um you know, you know, yeah, we could, we'll, we'll talk about all this next time, you know. Yeah. We'll talk <laughs> I, about yeah I don't want to go too, too far down that because we, we want to keep these two episodes separate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean, maybe it's worth. Uh, well, I don't know if this is. Um, I mean, I think one of the one of the weaknesses of my program when I was going through it that I think continues to be a weakness in teacher education is, you know, going back to this two worlds problem, um, is that the mentor teachers often um, are are chosen um, because. We don't have a, a ton of choices. Right. And those folks may or may not be really well integrated with the notions of what the university's up to. Um, and so that that is really hard. Like, you know, we we have a limited where we are. Penn State in a, in the middle of uh, Center County um, is surrounded mostly by rural school districts, um, which is to say low population density. So that means it's there's a limited number of science teachers within driving distance of of Penn State's main campus um which limits our ability to to find teachers and that doesn't mean there aren't great teachers i'm not trying to say that what i'm saying is you have a limited pool, and even if every teacher in that pool is great they 're not all going to take student teachers every year they 're not going to you know there's so many complexities to this field experience component um, and and then what happens often is that those mentors get no support because so that kind of support costs money and time, and universities usually aren 't willing to spend that on people that aren 't their employees so so the mentors might get you know three hundred or five hundred bucks to do their job, and some of those mentors they just disappear. So I'll, I'll I'll contextualize this in my my experience um, with my student teaching. So I was getting certified in physics, but also in math, and so they split my field experience. So I had half the day. Um, and there's a longer backstory to this, but I was between two buildings, and I taught science in one building and math in another building, both middle schools, and the, the teach, the mentoring was vastly different between those two. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to even put mentoring in, in air quotes here. So, so my science teacher who was, um, who had, who was awarded the science teacher of the year in Michigan, um, I think actually after I was there, but, but during his time as a science teacher, um, was a great science teacher. Um, but, was a science teacher. He was not really a mentor. So what he did was, you know, he would talk with me occasionally, but most of the time he just was not around when I was teaching. So like you, I was sort of just thrown in the deep end and I was sort of like, okay, so this is it. I just got to teach. Um, my other mentor teacher, uh, my math mentor teacher, um, was uh, one of those people who sort of thought the universities w- were. Preaching some, you know, new math that he wasn't interested in, that was just the old math repackaged in some way. And so he sat in the back of class. Um, and essentially, I mean, when I would when I would do stuff, if a kid in class didn't want to do it, they would turn around and look at my mentor. And if the mentor sort of nodded, then they had to do it. And if he shook his head, the kid could not do it. And that was that. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was pretty ruthless. And so um, you know and and I eventually um managed to at least prove myself well enough in the math class that he stopped doing that, but that that was my initial experience with him so uh so yeah, neither of those was really a mentoring experience for me like one was sort of well one was absolutely not it just was a non existent it was basically just access to a classroom, and the other one was um was especially in the beginning really anti mentoring like he was he was trying to like break me down. So, um, so this is a, this is a really hard problem that we have in teacher education is that, you know, some, we have people that work in our program who do work for our students, um, who are not employed by the university, who are employed by school districts and who have jobs, who are teachers. Um, and that, that really complexifies teacher education in a significant way. And, um, and, you know, sometimes it can be great. Sometimes it can be bad, but that, but that, um, mentor, the relationship between the mentor teacher and and the university and how that's, you know, facilitated or not by a university supervisor. I mean, that is an incredibly important piece of teacher education that, um, you know, often gets little attention and certainly almost always gets no resources, right? And we can talk about, you know, like you said, the people who are typically um, university supervisors are retired school district people. So they tend to be former teachers or former building principals who have retired from the school district and want to keep their hand in. And, and, you know, again, that, that can be a very mixed bag, especially in terms of alignment with the university. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly complex uh, environment to try and prepare people for, for a very difficult job.
0: And I think that while the school districts have a vested interest in us as universities, preparing really good, teachers and science teachers being a subset of that they're not always really willing to take on or partner with universities to to help support that education and and i think some of it is logical right is that if you are say if if you have a teacher who has been teaching for 15 or 20 years in your district it doesn't seem logical for a district to say you know what we're going to bring in this you know this novice teacher this beginning Mm -hmm. teacher this And replace this 15, 20-year veteran with this novice for 15 weeks, Mm -hmm. right? And then we basically swap them out where the... You know, the expert teacher, the person who is you know, really adept at what they're doing, probably award winning in some in a lot of cases, some cases, you know, that they have you know, developed some sort of rapport with their students. They, they understand the, the breadth of the curriculum in the school. So they mm-hmm. aren't like viewing lessons individually, but seeing how it tells the whole story across the year and how it's telling a story across four years of science. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's it's a trade off that doesn't bring value to the school. Right. And doesn't bring value to the students. It brings value to the teacher candidate. It brings value to the institution, but it it doesn't like, you know, in most cases, you're not going to be able to make that swap and have it be beneficial to the students. And that's not a knock on, you know, teacher education or not a knock on on our teacher candidates. It's just fact, you can't replace, it goes back to the 10,000 hours. You have these teachers who have been teaching for 15 to 20 years. They have way more than 10,000 hours in on their, on their craft. And sometimes you know, sometimes maybe that trade off is better. Right. Yeah, the teachers sure. getting, It may be more passionate, maybe more, you know, inventive. You know, maybe the trade off is actually beneficial to the students in the classroom. Maybe. But I would say in most, at least from a district personnel standpoint, they're going, OK, this doesn't work for me. This yeah. doesn't work for our school. And this a, and and. I will say it probably, you know, there were oftentimes when, when I would take a student teacher where the parents would be coming, you know, and when I was teaching sure. physics and the parents would go, okay, you're going to still teach this class, right? Because my, my kid's got to take this AP test yeah. and I want to get them, the, they have to get a five in order to be accepted, yeah. in, the, you know, at their school. And I'm like, look, it's going to be fine. You know, I'm trying try to wait down because they're like, you know, you're the one who we want to have teaching our students, sure. not this this person.
1: Yeah, this kid from... Miller Hill or Penn State or, wherever. Right, or yeah.
0: wherever they were from. Right. And it's not yeah. like we don't want this novice teaching our students. We want the expert, you know, and, yeah. you know, the. and that's a trade off that's really hard to sell to parents and to district people. Right. You know? though,
1: I, though I think and we'll probably talk about more this more next episode um, is <clears throat> that part of that problem is a fundamental, um, you know, and we talk about this a lot in, in this podcast in other areas, but a fundamental Uh, error in terms of the underlying model. So, um, so for me, it's really about like, if you, if you're going to treat student teachers or interns or, whatever you call them depending on the school district right or the university program if you're going to treat them as replacements for the for the teacher that's working in your building then yeah you're absolutely going to see that as a net loss for you like why would right. we do this i mean but there are lots of other ways to think about what the role of the mentor and the and the intern teacher are and and it goes to you know like one of the struggles i've had uh in in my program here from the beginning is um different notions of what it means to be a teacher in a classroom which is to say um there some supervisors that i've worked with say look the only way it counts for them for the, for the pre-service teachers or interns for the only way it counts for them is if they are leading quote unquote leading the class right so they so this idea of like working together like to a mentor and a, and a pre-service teacher co-teaching, working together, collaborating and mixing, you know, bringing benefit of having two adults in the classroom who are knowledgeable and can be helpful and, uh, support student learning. Like they say, well, the pre-service teacher isn't, isn't leading class and therefore those hours don't count. And I just think that is such a bananas way to look at yeah, it, right? Like no other, no, I mean, no other internship would do that. Like, okay, we're going to have an internship, but the only part of the internship that really matters is when the person is doing everything by themselves. All the yeah. rest of the time just doesn't count.
0: I think one, one of the things that's beneficial for me in terms of like, you know, radically changing how I see teacher preparation is so I I live in central Pennsylvania um, and we're uh, the hospital that's nearest us is a Penn State hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a training facility. So this is where my kids have been born. This is where, you know, whenever any of us have either, you know, checkups or any sorts of, you know, emergency room experiences, this is where we go. It's like three or four miles from our house. Mm -hmm. But if you go to this hospital, you're likely to, Interact with multiple people at multiple stages of right. your time there, and most of them will not be, you know, doctors officially. Right in that right. they are completely finished with their teaching, their you know training program. Mm-hmm. You'll have like I've gone in for just like a routine checkup where I've had you know a doctor who might be a first year med student come in and adm- like go through the questions of like why I'm there and and so on with the expert, I'm going to put an expert in in quotes, the expert doctor watching them, right? Just sitting. And, you know, oftentimes they'll come in and say, Hey, this is, you know, first year doc, med student, they're going to perform the, you know, the questions or, and then there are other times when I come in and the that, that a person who's very similar or similar years of experience is, is doing the initial, you know, tests. And so Again, coming back to that bicycle thing, they're breaking down the concept of what it means to be a practitioner into different constituent parts, and they're practicing them with somebody at the side, an expert at the side, watching them giving them feedback and then also bringing me as the patient in to give feedback to. So, you know, are there like, there've been times when the, the doctor will say, well, do you think there's some, what? what should they have asked about this? And I say, well, you know, I'm having this like pain here. This is, you know, Oh, well that, oh, well that that's a question. And then sometimes you can actually see the the, the expert giving the feedback in times. And sometimes that's like, yeah. I am assuming that happens after, you know, but there's definitely that observation that's happening by the expert to be able to provide that feedback. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a very different way of seeing how people are, you know, mentored into the profession and enculturated into the practice, you know, and I think that's the, that's the the thing to me that sort of causes a radical shift, which is such (laughs) a departure to see how you and I, um, taught or how we were trained to teach. And then also, I would think that the the traditional model that a lot of our listeners, if you're a science teacher out there or you're a teacher out there, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. went through, you know, you had a professional semester and then you went off and did student teaching someplace where you did 15 weeks of student teaching, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you did some observations in your professional experience or maybe earlier in your four year undergrad program. But you're supposed to like, I liken it to going into going to a movie theater and jumping from, you know, movie to movie and watching 10 minutes of this one 15 minutes of this one and then maybe an hour of this one and you're trying to make sense of what the movies are about based on these like little you know glimpses Snippets. snippets and it's really an impossible task and yet that's what a lot of our teacher education programs are built upon is like teachers the individual you know, teacher candidate making sense of all those movies, just by dipping their toe in this one for like, you know, two or three weeks and observing and then going to this other completely different school with a completely different structure, different kids, all that, and spending some time there, again, mostly in an observational uh, role, and then going off. And if they're, you know, our district, I mean, our university, will, you know, typically did this too, if they had multiple content areas, they'd have multiple placements. in. Different schools. And so that even breaks it up even further. They're not spending an hour in that movie. Now they're spending a half an hour in one movie and a half an hour in another. Mm. And so it is just really a difficult thing, right? To think about how we do this thing of preparing teachers and how do we do it well and where, where everybody benefits, right? Where the schools benefit, the students in the classroom benefits our teacher candidates benefit, you know, like our institutions benefit. Like, how do we do this in a way? Because I think our structures, your structure and my structure, maybe were, you know, somewhat beneficial to some people, but, you know, I think there are better ways of doing it. Yeah. And
1: I think there's an analogy here and maybe, maybe this'll, this'll um, be the end here and then we can move to Joyce, but um, there's an analogy here to the way that we think about science teaching, right. Which is that, Really, what we're talking about is enculturation into a set of practices, right? And we're talking about that, whether that's kids learning science, and we want them to be engaged in these practices and get support and mentoring while they're doing it. Um, so they're not just you know being told a bunch of stuff to write down in their notebooks, but they're actually engaged in these practices and learning them. Um, and hopefully with a supportive teacher and peers who can help them. Um, and the same is true of what we're asking with pre-service teachers, right? We're trying to put them in a community of practice. We're trying to put them. You know, this goes back to our learning theory. You you ha- called out practice and enculturation, and you know that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a community of practice and intentionally doing what we can to design those environments, those communities, uh, and the norms of those communities to to be as supportive for learning as possible. And uh, and it it is hard, and it but science teaching is a set of practices with underlying knowledge and science is a set of practices with underlying knowledge. So on some level, they're really the, the, uh, the same problem just on, on different uh, levels of the system. Yeah. Um, so, so it all applies. Like we want, we want these things to be consistent across these environments. We want, we want the same kind of things for pre-service teachers as we want for for our science students. Uh and there's also an argument for how why that helps them learn how to do the science teaching, right? Like if you have a community that mirrors what you want to have happen in their classrooms, it helps them understand what that looks like. So um so yeah, we we do have to think about um you know how these things map across to each other and and are connected. But um but I think the big takeaway was uh, for us, uh, teacher education is hard, and uh, <laughs> <Love that. laughs> and it's complex, and it involves a lot of people um, who are ostensibly there to support this beginning teacher in learning, um, and those people maybe like in every other community or even in families, those people don't exactly agree on the best way to do that. And so it can cause a lot of uh, you know, angst and internal conflict for these pre-service teachers because they, you know, they may have a professor at the university that they really like, they, they're like, I really want to teach this way. I've I've heard these, you know, wacky ideas about ambitious science teaching. I really want to do this phenomenon-based teaching. And then they go in and their mentor says, yeah, that's all well and good, but that's not how we do it here. And that's not how schools really work. Um, and so here's what you're going to do.
0: That sounds familiar. Yeah. That it sounds, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Vaguely. Which is, yeah. What, yeah. We, we were going to talk about the invisible college a little bit. Yeah.
1: I think we can talk about maybe, maybe that's how we kick off next time, because I think that was the beginning of, of us, uh, starting to experiment or think through what teacher sure. education could look like.
0: Because that what what Scott's talking about is 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 my dissertation was yeah. like our my, our work with, um you know a longitudinal study of two beginning science teachers who worked at Penn State and went through a somewhat traditional uh, teacher education program, but we were trying to change that model up a little bit. Um, but then what happened to them when when they went to schools? What mm. happened when they and and that'll be another teaser for next episode yeah. because yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, yeah, I think we, we got to know each other in that process and that was sort of a, like a, it ended up being the research project ended up being sort of like a boutique program within the program. It was, it was essentially for two students, um, uh, two pre-service teachers and, and with a lot of, um, you know, support from faculty and graduate students and mentors who are all sort of talking in very serious ways about, about science teaching at the time. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a, a, a really interesting project and certainly, um, kickstarted or I don't know, cause I think I was already interested in teacher education, but I think that's when I really said, wow, this is cool stuff that I want to know more about. And right. I, I see this as an area that I really want to focus my attention on is, um, how, how do we do this better? Because it is a, it is a hard job.
0: Well, all of that is, so you come back to uh, episode two of season two. Yes. Uh, It's going to be super good. All right. Joyce, let's jump into Joyce. All right. Um,
1: so I can, I can do, I've, I've just been, um, this one, you know, I, I sometimes feel funny about, um, about recommending things that I know don't sort of need recommendation on some level. And I don't think you've talked about this, but maybe you have, because I, I, do, I know you listen to this podcast, but um, a podcast that I just haven't listened to in a while and have been binging back to get myself caught up again recently is 99% invisible. Oh yeah, um, Have you, did you mention that as a joy at some point? I don't
0: think I have, but it is but something that's on my, oh yeah, it's on my yeah. rotation.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, it's a, I mean the 99% invisible title is just a reference to the idea that we live in a world that is designed and we don't pay attention to it 99% of the stuff in, in our world we don't pay any attention to that it's actually designed and so so their their attention um in the in the podcast is on things that um that you know you you take for granted in your environment and and how they came to be and their history and their design often um and there you know it's it's fascinating stories about how the world uh you know has come to be the way it is and 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 you know it, it i think the takeaway from it for me is like wherever you are right now if you look around almost everything in your environment from the things on your body to the things around you somebody designed that right somebody said this is the way it should be and produced it to match that design and and that is a weird thing to think about right and and uh that there's all literally everything in your environment was designed by another human being um and made by another human being and um and so design is so central to what we are and who we are as humans uh that we just take it for granted a lot and and it, it makes for fascinating stories when um Roman Mars is the, is the guy who runs the podcast yeah. and, uh, and he's a, you know, he's great journalist slash podcaster, but, um, but yeah, a hundred percent, ninety hundred percent, 99% invisible on Rotten
0: Tomatoes. That's a, yeah, that's it's it. a brilliant podcast. Yeah. It's a great podcast. And, and you even talking about design makes me want to reread, uh, the design of everyday things, yeah. you know, that, which is a great book,
1: Don Norman,
0: Don Norman, but that's not my joy today. My joy okay. is triple a you know, if you're, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, AAA. yeah, triple yeah, A is my joy. Um, we recently had some car trouble, um, where, you know, our car, um, was broken down on the side of the road. Uh, it, it was, you know, we we're taking our daughter back to school and a little check engine light came on and then we're like, uh, and then it just you know coasted to a stop on the side of the road mm. and it was good to know that we could call triple a and within 20 minutes uh, a tow truck had arrived and was taking our car uh to the mechanic and so you know i know it's one of those things that probably is you know we don't think a lot about but when we're in those times of of chaos when it's you know raining and you're sitting on the side of the road and going okay what what do i do that you know it's nice that to know that there's services like triple a that you know do the job and um we don't use it very often but it's one of those things that we we pay the you know whatever it costs per year to to you know maintain it and it's one of those things that i think it's that peace of mind whenever you do you need it like hey you're you know car broke down or you know you can't you've locked your keys in the car i don't even know if that's still something you can do um um but when when those things happen and you're like uh darn knowing that you can have a a service like your boy come out and like help you yeah
1: yeah and i and i'll and i'll second that because i just in the in the last month too my my youngest daughter was driving home um uh and was far from home and it was a a terrible rainstorm and she hydroplaned and you know 360 spin of the car and went into a ditch and totaled the car um and you know AAA a was fantastic like they sent a guy out there we left the keys on the dash we and he um you know hooked up the car and towed it 70 miles uh back to state college um not that it made any difference because the car was done but But they, they did that and it was, you know, that it would have been a huge headache for us to deal with if it hadn't been for that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great service and it's, it's a thing that, um, you know, as you say, you sort of take for granted until you really need it. And then you're like, holy cow, that was great. We had that. So yeah, nice one.
0: Yeah. So there you go. Episode right. one, one, season two, in the books. Look at that. Look at, at us. that. Woo.
1: Or or episode 53, depending on how how you want to think about it.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. You just I, with, I, I know what no, you're thinking. I'm not going to do it. Oh, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm nope. going
0: to show restraint. This is well, what a, a New Year's resolution, new season resolution. Right. I'm showing new some season, restraint. Right. Some restraint.
1: See you next time.
0: 53.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see you next time in between, see you time. right? See you then. Yeah, yeah, see
0: you next time in between. Bye now.